Welcome to the Soys Investment Group podcast. It's your one-stop shop for all stock trading and investment management news. We bring you the latest tips, analysis, and of course, discussions on what's driving the market. And welcome back to the podcast, everyone, for another action-packed week on the Soys Investment Group channel. Uh, I'm joined by our financial and tech gurus, Mike and Carl, at beg, 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 four begs, Mike. I didn't mess it up this week. And I'm joined by Carl, our financial guru. Lads, how are we keeping? Flying it, Ryan. Thanks for having us back. I'm not too bad. Not too bad at all. How are you keeping yourself? I'm not too bad. I'm not too shabby at all. Coming off a very fattening Easter weekend, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think we've got an interesting topic for this week. Uh, And for our listeners, guys, we're going to start off with the usual, what's been moving the markets? We're going to then move into a little section on, are we in a stock market bubble? And I think this is going to be a fascinating one this week because I'm seeing a lot of conflicting information some analysts are saying oh stock market bubble all the indicators are frothing i'm hearing some analysts talk about okay we're going to enter another 2020 boom something like you know the years of the uh of the roaring tiger back in the early 2000s so it'll be interesting lads to get your take on it uh in terms of whether you believe we're in a stock market bubble and of course we'll finish off with our anything goes quick fire round but before we do lads let's spend a couple of minutes talking about what's been moving the markets this week I've got a few key points, but I'd like to maybe open it up to yourselves. What's grasped your attention? It's been a fairly mixed week from my perspective. Uh, I think last week and this week, we've we've seen some definite differences. But overarching markets continuing to rise and um, kind of creeping towards all-time highs. My portfolio has been pretty good. I'm seeing definitely more green than red, which is always positive. But I think the uh, I think the story of the day is Alibaba. And I know we're going to end up talking about it in a minute, but um, like getting slapped with a 2.8 billion uh, fine around anti-money laundering and then like rocking back with a 9% growth today is just unfathomable. I don't understand this. Uh, and I'm very, very sad that I didn't go in last week when I said I would. Um, but um, I'm sure you both are very, very happy about that. <laughs> Mike, what a what a day! What be a, a day. Mike are like to be uh, Cheshire cats. <laughs> so, so for context for everyone at home as well, you know, on our on our little WhatsApp group, Carl uh, messaged me and Ryan. Was it late last week? Like we're talking Thursday or Friday? It was both Wednesday and Friday. I messaged and got no support, no support whatsoever. I'll have you know. Well, we didn't want to force you into anything. We both said that we liked Alibaba long term and you're like should i invest i got my capital ready to go should i invest in it and we actually said that you should but you were a little bit bearish so on the fence again (laughs) (laughs) this is the first day in a long time that my portfolio has actually finally gone into the green but ryan i'd be interested to get your take on why after a what did you say 2.5 billion is that it million sure hardly billion was it 2.8 billion yeah i mean from some of the analysts what i'm hearing because i'll be honest lads right uh as we're sitting here today it's the 12th of april uh it's around 10 to 6 p.m gmt and this morning when i woke up pre-market i actually put a buy order um on alibaba at 115 because i actually thought it was going to sell off My, carl's got his head shaking in agreement that he thought it was going to sell i think we all thought it was going to sell off uh-huh. i was trying to get an indication as to pre-market movement and it was so flatlined it was you know up pre-market 0.03 i was thinking what what is going on but i stood strong and the market came open and it it just skyrocketed and i know carl you, you you're probably a bit sad today <laughs> but it's up but it, and it's i'm not even sad i'm more frustrated because my thinking was and based off the conversations we had was that it was likely going to go lower 
because there was there was murmurs of this coming through and whether it was going to be a big a big fine as it was but there was murmurs of some fine coming down or or something that was going to impact over the next while and i was basically waiting for it to drop sub 220 or maybe even kind of sub 200 and to make loads of gains but i was uh i was too greedy that's what it was um was I've, I've missed the boat now but boat. ryan what, what happened explain it to us what happened was, um, and, and I suppose you can go into a lot of detail here, but what happened was, obviously, the Chinese regulator came back in. They find them, is it 2.8 billion, lads? Is that what we're saying? 2.8 billion. And essentially, a lot of investors historically would have seen that as bad news. But with the way the market's going at the minute, it's almost reverse. Um, bad news is good news. Good news is good news. It, essentially, anything is a buy the market news. Um, but you look at Alibaba and the fundamentals, it's so fundamentally undervalued compared to its competitors like Amazon. You look at Alibaba's P ratio of 26.8. I've actually created a YouTube video looking at the fundamentals, and I did this last week. So it's going to be perfect in terms of explaining why it's, 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 it's such a good buy. But essentially, lads, what happened was... And analysts are now saying the bottom has been baked in. There is no more significant risk in Alibaba stock, or a better way to phrase it is their risk versus reward has now tilted significantly to the upside, i.e. the seesaw has now you know, tipped to this is a strong buy. There's very little risk left in this stock. So you'll see in that today, the news has come in. It's been solidified in terms of the uh, debt and people are just saying, okay, that's it, done, undervalued company, and we're going to buy it. And one other thing that I want to throw into the mix is does anyone want to take a guess at the first thing that I looked at when Alibaba started spiking for no apparent reason? GameStop. I looked at Wall Street Bets on Reddit, <laughs> and I searched for uh, Alibaba on Wall Street Bets, and one of the highest traction articles yesterday was an, uh, a good, actually a pretty decent piece of, of due diligence <laughs> on why Alibaba was, was grossly undervalued at the moment and how it was close enough to a no-brainer. Had they announced a fine yesterday, by yesterday's stage? Mm, yes, they had. They had. They had. So that was actually baked into that. That Maybe to your point, Ryan, that it couldn't legitimately go any lower, that the resistance had well and truly be hit, been hit and all, all negative news had been priced in. Mm. But uh, just an interesting coincidence that it was a, a high traction article at the same time. The theory or the ide ideology around having that all negative news is baked in is something that's not new to the stock market. Now, and I don't, don't, I don't fully agree with it. And it's, it's the efficient market hypothesis in that all available information is already baked into the price. If that's the case, then there's there's no way people can make a profit on things. I think what's happening is accumulation of a lot of things that we're going to be talking about in a minute, like people having a load of cash, load of positive articles coming through the likes of Wall Street bets, etc. And people are just lumping onto a thing that is seen as undervalued. So I, I agree with you in that it's going up for, for a particular reason. Do I believe that everything is baked into every stock around there? Probably not. I don't. I don't think that's the reason as to why. Mm, just moving on, lads, on the Babby on the Babby. <laughs> moving on, on the Baba topic is I wanted to bring this one back around, sort of roost. JP Morgan. It was one of our top stock picks for the month of April, right? And I want to bring this up. Okay, as I look at it today, it's up three percent. They've got uh, up three percent since we last talked about it, and they've got earnings on Wednesday the 14th now historically you know banks always lead on, on a new earnings season they're usually the catalyst in terms of they set the trend they set the sentiment for the market i think this week is going to be crucial for the next three months of trading if the banks have a blowout earnings report you see the likes of jp morgan Citibank, wells fargo all have blowout earnings reports i think we're going to see continuous buy-in in the market and i think that 
is the perfect segue into are we in a stock market bubble? Lads, what do we think? There's one interesting stat actually I'll give you to open up this discussion, right? I'm not going to claim this is my own. I listened to Fast Money, uh, a great podcast, you know, shout out for a shout out. Uh, But they talked about April. There has never been a down day in April since 2012. Now that is a fascinating piece of analysis. Essentially, April has always ended green and that is because of banks' earnings. But it then plays into, you look at where the markets are. I mean, very quickly, to give everyone an indication as to where we are, the S&P one-year chart is up 46%, um, the year-to-date up 10%, NASDAQ one-year chart up 65%, the year-to-date up 7%, and the Dow Jones up 41% in the last year, year-to-date up 11%. I mean, you'd think that was a stock, but it's not. It's, it's actually US indices. But lads, I mean, what do you think? Like, is this is this a stock market bubble, or are we about to enter a significant economy boom? Well, it's a it's a it's a good question. I was actually looking at a similar piece of an, I was doing a similar piece of analysis, and stocks on aggregate are up eighty percent since the first weeks of the pandemic. Eighty percent since the first weeks of the pandemic. Uh, to use your JP Morgan example, they went down as low as ninety eighty nine ninety eighty nine, and now they're at one hundred and fifty six. So they've doubled in just over a year. Like, so you have to ask yourself two questions. Are we in a bubble or are we in the most explosive level of growth the market has ever seen and the economy is at an all-time high? Because it's Mm -hmm. kind of one or the other, isn't it? 100%. And you know what we might do, lads, is we might, even to break this down for simplicity for ourselves and our listeners, let's break it down into what is leading the market to a bubble burst and what's leading the market to you know a continuation in the rallies. So let's maybe start with the downside in terms of what could lead this market lower. I'm going to give you two or three interesting points that I've found. It's trying to counterbalance you know, the economic growth and the inflation with the strong economic data that's coming out, particularly the jobs report that came out actually two Fridays ago. And I think the big one, as I said, is banks reporting this good, this week. I think it'll give us a good insight. I think at the end of this week, we will know if we're in a, if we're in a stock market bubble. But lads, what's the key, maybe two or three things you have your eye on in terms of downside to this stock market? If this was a, I don't know, two years ago and we had just seen incredibly large growth and all these stocks would be like, yeah, we're likely going to see some kind of bubble pop in some shape or fashion. But there's so many different factors playing here now. With COVID, um, people staying at home, people having more money. Are we just seeing an influx of people going into the market? I don't know if we are in a bubble anymore. I think there's just a lot of people who, and particularly people who middle earners who have more money and people who wouldn't necessarily have a lot of money are now flooded with kind of disposable income. And they're floating it into the market, into different investments, trying to make money. And I think there's just an influx of people in the market that's causing it to grow. Carl, here's a question for you. You know, because you're saying maybe we're not in a bubble. Maybe this is now fair pricing. So Tesla's up 8x since the start of the pandemic. Bitcoin's up 5x since the start of the pandemic. So are you telling me that these stocks are worth these prices? No. And let me just caveat my answer, right? I don't think they're worth it. And you'll always have stocks in the market which have huge PE ratios and people just pummel money, put money into them just for just because they, they like the company, right? But the reason why I say this, like a bubble has to pop for a reason, right? Think about back in the day, like the housing market crashed because they were built on random complex derivatives or whatever they were that caused them to crash, right? What's gonna what's going to cause the bubble to pop now? 
people just lose interest in tech stocks or whatever stocks they are. It's just I'm I'm struggling to see where where we're going to kind of fall down on things right now, where the value is going to drop from. But there's always something, isn't there? There's always something. Like there's there's absolutely no doubt in that the market is extraordinarily volatile right now, which is normally a good indicator of a of a bubble. You know, all you have to do is look at the likes of Tesla, which went from 900 down to 550 in a matter of weeks. Bitcoin went from 57K down to 45K in one week and then back up to 60K two weeks later. Peloton went from 150 down to 105 in a matter of weeks. Like These aren't normal movements. These are huge market cap stocks and Bitcoin, obviously the currency is not a stock, but same general idea that are fluctuating wildly, wildly. And that's normally a good indicator of I, th- I think of, you know, we're, we're in a, a volatile market. Yeah, no, we're, we're no doubt in a volatile market. And I completely agree with you. But do you think one day they're just going to go pop and everything is going to plummet? Because what we've been seeing is volatility up and down continuously. And look, I've said it time and time again that I've completely switched or switched my tune to an extent because a few weeks ago, I would have been like, yeah, we're absolutely in a bubble, 100%. But I'm constantly hearing these things or reading these articles going, we're not in a bubble anymore because there's just it's constant upper pressure. It's not going to explode like it did in the past, but only time will tell. No, I was just going to say to that point, like I've just put down a piece of paper where I see the probably the two or three things that are downside or, you know, significant risks to the market. The first thing to your point, Mike, is the valuations. Like you look at, I think the perfect case study here is, is Tesla. I mean, at the minute, they're approximately around 1,000 on their P ratio. That is crazy, regardless. 1,000 P ratio is crazy. In my opinion, anything above, you know, in the 15 to 30 range is, 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 is sort of okay. It's sort of subject to sector and industry. But 1,000, there's no reason why that should be at 1,000 P ratio. So what you're seeing now is sort of this hyperinflated levels. And the interesting thing is, and I wish I could pop this chart open to our listeners, but I encourage all of our listeners to pop this chart open. Go on to Yahoo Finance. Go to the S&P 500 index and you can add a little indicator or a comparison. And I want you to put the comparison of 2007 and the charts over a two to three year region, right? We are in an identical pattern now to where we were in 2007, where essentially the market was going higher and higher and higher. And then bang, we had the sell off. I know there was other factors at play, but it is a case, lads, of does history repeat itself? And actually, I was in, in preparation for this stock. I was doing an piece of analysis. And I thought what might be interesting to look at is Google allow you to see search trends. So if you look at a term, you can see how that, ter- how that term, its search trends have been like over the last couple of years. And uh, here's a really interesting one that I want to throw at you both, which is stock market bubble peaked in January 21. By, by quite a stretch, like it was way, way above its its next nearest peak uh, of the amount of people searching stock market bubble. The last time it peaked, so its second peak was April 2007. Mm. So about a year, is that roughly about a year before it actually fell out of, the, out, of the, out of the market in, in the US? So yeah. look, that that tells you one thing. It doesn't tell you that we're in a bubble, but it certainly tells you that people are conscious of the fact that we might be. It, it tells you that people are searching it and asking the question, these markets don't seem right. You know, are, are we in a bubble? I absolutely think everything is overvalued and we're going to see drops over the last while. That is why, as we've said time and time again, I have a lot of my capital sitting, waiting to be invested for that drop. Having said that, I didn't do it last week, but I have it for the big drop that's going to happen, okay? And I do, I do believe that something will happen, but I don't 
I don't classify it as like the entire market is going to collapse. I think if you're smart with your bets and obviously over the over the long term way, I think there's still still money to be made. You just have to be careful with what you go into. I think and that's actually a fascinating point, Mike, on the Google searches, because what I was thinking about is if people already have that on the mind, what does that mean when we first see that first decline in the market, right? If we see a four or five percent sell off in one day, which can happen, we've seen it back in March. Does the retail investor or even, you know, the big, large institutional investors, does that spook them? And if it does, what does that mean for the market? Because what will happen is it'll be a snowball. Institutional investors will pull money out. Then retail investors go, oh, you know, the, the hypochondriac example, this sort of thing. Oh, no, this is it. This is it. I need to pull all my money out. And then all the money starts coming out to an effect of, you know, and I use sort of, um, you know, the inverted brackets, a run on the bank. It's essentially a run on the market where essentially people are pulling all they have out of the market. And I think that is a potential um, for, for something that could happen with the market because of the large retail investing uh, following that the market has at the minute. Well, you just saw really similar trends with the dot-com bubble, right? In that that was the point in the market where the, the retail presence was at its, at its highest. And it's also where stocks were getting less valued by fundamental metrics and, and more by like metrics that ignore, ignored like revenue and ignored like cash flow and like ability to make money to the point of like the Tesla that you were making, Ryan, of like the the, the the price to earnings ratios. And just these these stocks that were significantly overvalued and, and look what happened there. But I guess maybe a question to the both of you is like, maybe this is to Carl's point. What, what is the thing that makes it pop? Because there always has to be something. There always has to be something that instigates the bubble bursting. I do think that we're in an overinflated state in the market but what makes it stop? So I've got two things I'm going to throw out to you. Uh, again, I'm not going to claim this work. It's a, it's done by a guy, a very respected analyst on Wall Street called Tom DeMarc. And he's basically looking at where the key resistance is, where will we potentially see the sell-off come from? And he's tried to pinpoint his forecasting is excellent. He actually timed the bottom back in March. So for all of our listeners, I would actually pay heed to this analysis. I certainly am anyway. But he's saying for the S&P, the peak is 4138. So for any of our listeners, get a pen and paper and write down 4138. It's around 1% from where we are today. He sees that as the resistance on the S&P 500. What he's saying is the support on the S&P is 3909. If the S&P 500 breaks below 3909, there will be carnage. There'll be blood in the streets, is, is his words. So they're your two key indicators for the S&P 500. Again, any of our listeners get a pen and paper. 4138 is the resistance. The support is 3909. So that's the first one. Carl, I see you've got a question. Just like what you said there is, if we start to see this super big decline, and analysts are saying, this is if, if we go below this, X is going to happen. It will. Because 100%. people... Back, people yeah. Like we saw it in the likes of, uh, and I know I'm going back to like GME. The only reason why GME didn't plummet any any quicker than it did is because everybody's sitting in Reddit going, "Hold, hold the line." When you don't have that, <laughs> when you don't have that, people are terrified. Stop yeah. losses, stop losses kick in, plummets it even further, and people just go, "Oh shit, I better get out of here before I lose all my money." Or their margin called. Yeah, exactly, and that's it. That is that that is the piece that will mm. as you said snowball it but to mike's point is you stating oh the s&p if it hits that it's gonna that's our snowball are, are we saying that the trigger point here is that people just lose confidence if we hit a number do you know what in the years that i've been studying the stock market lads i don't know this is an interesting debate like because i think the market is obviously fundamentals but there's also so much market psychology right even from my own perspective 
I've said it to you lads when I own a stock and I know it's hitting a resistance. And the reason I know it's hitting a resistance is I look back at the historical charts. So people use the historical charts and what's happened in history as indicators as to where the stock could go in the future. But I use so much market psychology in my trading and in my investing. So when I think a stock is nearing or it's getting a little bit edgy, I'll pull the plug. If I'm doing that, 99% of other people are doing that. So when you're listening to these analysts, this guy Tom DeMarc talk about the peak at 4138, another interesting point he said is the NASDAQ has potentially 5% more gain in it before we hit set off there. He then also said the Dow, key figure 3995. But the interesting piece he said is the bond market and the market are in sync. Okay, so as the 10 year treasury increases, the market will sell off. As the 10 year treasury decreases, the market will increase. So they basically work opposite to each other. Another one for some of our listeners on Bitcoin, he said Bitcoin and the overall market is in an upward exhaustion pattern. The last time we seen an upward exhaustion pattern, lads, guess when? Was 2007. So again, it's point this upward exhaustion pattern. He said the resistance on Bitcoin at the minute is 66,347. So that's your key figure there. But it is, I think, a, a case of market psychology blended with the fundamentals. And the last thing I might say is the 10 year treasury creeping closer to 2%. If we go over 2%, nobody's forecasted above 2%. What does that mean for the market? So if you're asking me, what are the big things that could pop the bubble? Those three levels I've told you for the S&P, the Dow and the NASDAQ, and then the 10-year treasury. But I'm going to come back to Carl's question, all right? And this is maybe complete ignorance on, on my part and just a lack of understanding, but that key resistance that we're talking about, these key resistance on these key metrices, like why can't I just go past them? What, what are we saying? That if I pass that point, all of the, the smart money, the hedge funds, whatever you want to call it, are just going to sell because they'll just go all go, okay, by our analysis, this is the time to sell. Like what actually makes it stop? I think to be honest, lads, it comes back to the old Warren Buffett quote around buy when others are fearful, sell when others are greedy. And I think it actually comes back to that very point around, you know, some of these large institutional investors and, uh, you know, these hedge funds are looking at the fundamentals, they're looking at the technicals and they think, ah, it's getting close, it's getting close to a sell off. So they lock in their cash um, because they don't want to get too greedy. An interesting point that uh, Jim Cramer makes is bears make money, bulls make money, but pigs get slaughtered. So again, no one wants to be a pig in this market. And I think it's just a case of, it, it, like genuinely lads, I think we're right now playing a game of Jenga with everybody else. Once our first block comes out of the Jenga block, I think genuinely we'll tip over. I genuinely think we're playing a game of Jenga here with everybody else. So that's the downside. But let's talk about the good stuff. <laughs> what about the upside? I mean, there's so many upsides as well. I, that's why I think this topic is, is fascinating because there's genuinely a 50-50 split. Right, so we talk about the downsides, all the, all those figures and blah blah blah. But what do we think? But this is this is the point, and um, it really depends what type of investor you are as well. What are these benefits? Because if you look at a standard dividend play, it's very hard to get value out of them at the moment because you're buying them so high. Like your your dividend yield have have started to decrease a little bit. So if you're going down that route and that's your kind of core investment, it's hard to to find value unless you really go searching for it. Which is why I've actually started to kind of pivot off into looking for more growth stock. Like, what do you think? Like to Carl's point, like where do you see the upside in this market? Like, what's the one, two, or three thing that you're like, okay, this is why the market could extend in its rally. Like, what what are those two or three things for you, or what do you think? Well, I mean, just if you're brave and if you're willing to play that that game of um of chicken with the rest of the market but getting out at the right time there's a, there's a lot of money to be made like these stocks are in hyper growth right now like 
Alibaba at this time of speaking is up eight percent, eight and a half percent today, just today. You know, like if you invested that when you know Ryan when you made that call in the in the Discord, you know, you'd already be up twenty dollars. You know, and that's just in one day. There's really good money to be made in this market right now, but you don't want to be the bag holder. That is the, that's the key. <laughs> you don't want to be the bag holder. And it's really hard to time that exit. And I think it comes back to the the investment strategy, which is which is kind of. I, th- I think it's the key to soys at the moment anyways um it's kind of that that scalping approach of like take your profits and move somewhere else and, and move to the next stock and move to the next stock where you can get two or three percent that five percent that sometimes could be eight or nine percent but we're not you know we're not waiting for the 20 percent. we're not waiting for the 25 percent. we take our profits and we move on yeah. i think that's the right approach to the market right now like one of the interesting pieces that i was looking at lads is um like i've just wrote down three things which i think could potentially result in the market going higher and those three things for me is one the retail investor we talked about it so many times all these retail investors coming into the market there was a study i can't remember the percentage i think it was jp morgan done a study that the majority of 20 to 35 year olds will put their stimulus packages into the uh, into the market so that bodes well for the market um again like where are the young people going to put the money in? I think they've got a taste of the blood of the stock market and how you can make money. So I think that's the first thing is the retail investor. Second thing, which I think is actually fascinating, lads, is off the back of COVID, many, if not all, big companies, if not all SMEs, should have enhanced their operational efficiencies, right? Like as in they should have actually enhanced their operations. So the actual operational margins and operational profits should increase. They sort of increase the supply chains. They put more money into the supply chains. They've enhanced the business model or they should have at least reviewed their business model, look at where the inefficiencies are, where they can cut costs. So I think the operational efficiency of, of companies is probably better now coming off the back of COVID, which means higher margins. The third thing is, and this is the big one, is the reopening trade, the pent up demand. I know myself, I haven't gone on holiday this year. I haven't done much traveling. I mean, most of my money's gone on takeaways, hence, you know, probably the amount of weight that I put on. But genuinely, lads, most of your money goes to nothing, right? Saving, investing, buying food, the odd treat here and there there's nowhere to put your money and i think the pent-up demand is going to be significant when the countries are vaccinated i think you'll see so many people looking to get in a plane getting a cruise line buy everything they can well i'll just make one small point and then i'll pass over to carl which is a statistic which is you have more money sitting in savings account right now than you did in 2009 and you might say why why is 2009 matter that was right after a massive recession because that's when people don't spend their money when the market's in a downturn and everybody starts saving and saving and saving and saving. It's why recessions get worse and worse because people don't spend money that they have. They just save it. And we have more money right now in a, during a boom, which is when people are supposedly spending money, than we did in 2009, which I think tells, says a lot as well. Yeah, my point was when we reopen, one of two things is going to happen. You're going to see a huge increase in the stock price of all these reopening trades, right? Um, and you're going to see an influx of people putting that money in because they see that or we're going to see people with all that disposable income it's going to go because they're going to be going back to their normal lives they're going to be spending on travel they're going to be spending on xyz and they don't have the disposable income to to invest anymore so is that going to be the trigger for a number of things people to pull money out of the market will that be it i couldn't agree more i couldn't agree more because i think there's a i read a lot of articles where it says, you know, when retail reopens, when travel reopens, everyone will get back out there, start spending their money, and it'll make the stocks go higher. But I think the reopening's already been priced in. I think you'll see exactly what Carl's talking about, 
which is all of that disposable income which was flowing into the stock market will start flowing into the more standard channels that it flows into you know retail bars restaurants travel all that good stuff you'll see it's flowing back in there again but the stock market price off the back of that increased revenue might actually drop no you're dead right mike and what i might do lads as well i mean we've talked about the upsides we've talked about the potential downsides but in summary are you leaning more towards we're in a stock market bubble i.e i'm going to keep some of my capital for that bubble burst or you're leaning more towards no i really believe in this reopening trade i think there's pent-up demand and i'm going to buy on on any potential short-term dips what's that over there is it carl sitting on the fence again is that that white picket <laughs> fence is that that <laughs> white no, no, no. i i do think there will be a drop-off sometime in the future and i do have capital sitting there waiting waiting to go in let me reposition this question for our listeners back home as well in the next six months do you think the market will be lower or higher from now till let's say the first of october will the s p dow and nasdaq be higher than where they are at current levels now or will it be lower i'm not going to reference the s p but i think we will be higher in six months time i don't think we would be the same in a year Oh. Because I, I could be, and the reason why I say that it comes back to exactly what we've just stated. I don't think we're at the end of COVID right now, if I'm being honest. And I don't think this full reopening is going to happen. There's too many countries going back into lockdown. The vaccine rollout haven't been completed yet. But in 12 months' time, most of us will be hopefully vaccinated and we'll be all open and ready to go in most countries. In six months' time, that probably won't be the case. So I don't think we're going to see that huge opening up in six months time but i think in 12 months time it might be something different that isn't an on the fence answer but what it does do is leave a nice spot on the fence for me because (laughs) i think it's i think it's impossible to say i honestly do and i think anybody who says it's this resistance point that resistance points i think you know it i think the bottom could fall out of the market next week i think it could happen in a year and a half's time and that's what that's what i meant when i said you're playing a game of chicken because you're playing a game of chicken with the rest of the market when you're investing in stocks you are. right now. You are. The, the only just, just, I'm in right now. One thing? Yeah, right. go for it. Go so for when, it yeah. I, when I say something, like pretty much exactly what you just said, I get stick. But you're allowed to sit on the fence. Because I don't normally sit on the fence. Can I go back to sitting on the fence? Can I go no. back to sitting on the fence? I'm, the fence? I'm incredibly sitting on the fence right now. More than one person on the fence collapses the fence. It does, yeah. We don't have that kind of fence. The um, only place I'm in right now, Ryan, to answer your question are long-term plays, which I, I'm happy to hold long-term. I'm not playing that game of chicken currently. See, I've been a bit riskier, lads. I mean, to answer the question, I think the market will be lower in six months. Personally, I stand by that analysis that I talked through earlier. So in summary, lads, we are slightly sitting on the white picket fence, but I am getting a very slight hint of pessimism. It's not, Do we it's all not think a- we're in a bubble? It's, yeah, it's not a pessimistic yeah, view. Yeah, I, we, fair we point. Think that we, Are we sorry, in a bubble? <laughs> the thing we're talking about bubbles again, I think it's overvalued at the moment. We will see a drop-off in the next yeah, six yeah. to 12 months. That's yeah, what, I, we, yeah. but, and to, to Mike's point, we don't know when it's going to happen. No one does. That's the whole point. No one knows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just going to happen. But the and trigger I, point, I, it's just to keep an eye on it. Yeah. And I think bubble gives the impression that <clears throat> it's going to burst and everything's just going to plummet you know it might play out like that we might we might go into a bear market for a while where where stocks take a downturn yeah. over a consistent amount, number of months and, and 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 they turn back up again you know it, it mightn't be like the dot-com burst and and you know the, the great recession and 2008 where the bottom just falls out everything it might not work like that but are we in an overinflated market to rephrase your own question ryan 
I think it's safe to say we probably are, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah, and that's what I was so. trying to get across, Mike, as well. And you've articulated far better than I was <laughs> over the course of this podcast. I I was trying to be really be very clear in that I don't think it's going to just collapse. I think we will see that drop. I just I just think it's I don't think it's going to relate or be as similar as it was in the past. That's kind of where the view is. There you go. So for any of our listeners, we do think the market, I think that's a great way, actually, Michael, phrasing it, that we potentially will enter a bear market as opposed to Carl's earlier point that uh, it'll fall out of the arse. You know, the, the, what way did you phrase it? It'll fall out of the arse of it? The arse will open and it'll fall through. The arse will fall the out of it. The arse will fall out of it. The arse will fall out of it. Uh, yes, that's exactly. a very common phrase. You heard it here first. The stock market will not fall out of its arse. <laughs> <laughs> its arse should stay firmly in position. Uh, okay, so let's move on, lads. Thank you for the discussion, but let's move on to our last section in the show. And of course, it's our quick fire round. I thought we might play it a bit different this week, lads, because there is a question in from the Discord channel, and it's it sort of touched on on the section. So this isn't a really quick fire round. It's more so looking at some of the questions coming from the Discord channel, because I do think it's you know we should spend a bit of time looking at what people are asking. The first question comes from Kieran in the uh, in the channel, and Kieran asks, "Hey man, just a question for you in the podcast. What percentage of total?" capital would you recommend investing i 50 percent invested 50 percent in savings as some of the lads in the podcast have said they're holding some capital for a dip or crash what percentage of capital should i be holding i think that's a great question but lads what is your answer to kieran in terms of capital allocation hard question to answer without context uh because it's it's very dependent on personal people's income and what their what their outgoings are and what they want to save for in the long run so if he is for instance saving for a house and he's trying to lump a load of have savings as well as investments then i would tell him to be very uh, cautious with how much he's throwing into the market because there is potential to get a lot to lose it all that's what mm. something to take into account but if we were to use percentages so i'm in that situation i'm trying to buy my buy a house at the moment so i have a lot of my money going to savings but as i said i take a portion of my salary um each month um it's not a huge portion but i do it over the course of a while so i don't know we call it 10 percent Mm. maybe 10 percent uh, and i'll typically i put it into uh, a stock that i have in my portfolio and i'll build it up hence getting more dividends more income in the future at the moment i've let that build up a little bit more so i'm just maintaining i have the same amount every month but it, i'm just maintaining it in my account until a point in time where i see some value mike just again from your own perspective where do you stand in terms of the question around allocations percentages in terms of invested versus you know on the sideline i'm I'm very much in the same line with carl actually and i think this is more on the topic of of personal finance actually and i think it's something that you know a lot of people ignore or don't think about so much but how do you do actually want to manage your own money but it's such an important topic uh, I've given this book a shout out in the pod before, but I'm going to give it a shout out again. I'm currently reading How to Be Good with Your Money. <laughs> it's a book by Owen McGee. Um, I just think it's I just think it's brilliant. I just think it, it it goes through everything from like like good debt, bad debt, how to get out of debt, mortgages, how to pay off loans, small loans, big loans, credit cards, uh, and then you know allocations of investing. It totally depends on what's going on in your life at any given point. Like to Carl's point, if you're saving for a house. You're more focused on just getting a nest egg of money there um, for your deposit for your house. I guess I'm in a similar boat to Carl, and that's what I'm trying to do at the moment. So I probably actually don't have as much money flowing into my investment account as I would potentially like. 
mm. but I know that hopefully I can get a house in the near future and then I'll, I'll have a, a bigger a bigger sum. I'd always say to never have all of your capital flowing into 100%. investments. No way. 100%. One thing I'll say about, about keeping a lot of savings, if you aren't saving for something, this is the caveat, if you're just saving for nothing, let's say you have your house and you're, you're financially secure, uh, interest rates in banks are generally crap. Mm. Uh, so your money isn't doing a whole bunch for you. Uh, just I mean, you're, you're essentially much. losing money with inflation, really, if you put it exactly. in the Exactly. So once you have a nest egg that you're comfortable with uh, and you keep topping that up and you also have your rainy day fund for when life happens, yeah. um, I think, you know, you can make more money in the S&P 500 than you can having it sitting in a savings account doing nothing. 100%. And just to add to that, I suppose, Kieran, what I would say is me personally, I never go above 70% fully invested. I always have at least 30% sitting on the side. So at the minute I am fully allocated, I have 70% of my portfolio invested at 30% sitting on the side. So that's me personally, 70-30 is my rule. Yeah, you know, we're, we're not talking about the stock market right now, but I think we could, let's probably leave this topic, but we could probably talk about personal finance for a whole podcast. We might, we might actually, yeah, that was going to be my suggestion actually at the end of the podcast to Kieran and the rest of our listeners. We might actually dedicate one podcast in the coming weeks, maybe next week or the week following. We've got a few things in the pipeline, but around personal finance and where to actually start if you're interested in investing. So for any new listening into the podcast, we might actually dedicate a podcast to how do you start? Where, what's the one, two, three things you do and then personal finance? So that's a good one. We'll, we'll note that. Um, moving on to the next question. The next question comes from Mahima in the Discord channel. And Mahima asks, with the legalization of recreational marijuana in many states in the US, including the latest one being New York, any stocks we should be watching or investing in right now? I think it's a brilliant question, Mike. I, I actually put this into the Discord channel, but we talked about it. One of my favorites, what it's worth, is the best in breed canopy growth. They're owned by Costellation Brands, the guys behind Corona Beer and a few others. They're my favorite. Uh, I know there's others as well. Mike, you mentioned one a while back around marijuana. You're going to do some investigation on? Yeah, absolutely. So, so one we actually shouted out in the pod I want to say two months ago, was Green Thumb Industries, which I will say is down since I last mentioned it, but I still like it as a stock. What I really like about Green Thumb Industries is they're the third biggest cannabis play in the US. Uh, obviously, cannabis getting legalized more and more in the US. What I like about Green Thumb is they specialize, prioritize edibles. So, you know, weed mm. cookies, weed gummies, all the, the weed goodies. Uh they obviously just sell classic, you know, weed that you'd smoke as well. But I think edibles are a good play because they have a much uh, lower barrier to entry as regards, you know, people might want to smoke, but you'll eat a cookie. And there's a much higher margin on edibles. So I think that's a good place to specialize in. Mm -hmm. And I know at the time I shouted them out, they had just gone into a partnership to make weed-infused drinks, like uh, colas and, and the like. I like their the way their market is shaped. I like their market prioritization. So Green Tom Industries. Uh, for anybody interested in that one my last question lads i know it's been a different uh it's been a different type of quick fire round but i've actually enjoyed this quick fire round in terms of getting to some of the questions the discord channel and djoyce asks lads what's the number one stock you have on the watch list right now i'm gonna kick it off and i i'm gonna say djoyce it's boeing i really really like the look of boeing here um it's done quite well i think it's the perfect reopening trade uh i think the bottom has been baked in i know it's up significantly from its march lows but i think they will see a significant uptrend in buy uh buy orders over the next while you're seeing it already there's a big order come in i think it was 1.5 billion or something like that um i think ryanair also bought a few boeings and um, so i think you're going to see a lot more uptake in boeing over the next two to three months so that's that's my one i have on my watch list to buy in a dip mike what's yours 
Similar to you, and it's one we've talked about before, but I've always liked Norwegian Cruise Lines. It was one I was invested in before and sold off. Uh, it's trading at 29.30 pre-pandemic. That was kind of trading consistently between 55 and 60. I think there's still a lot of growth there. Uh, I'm not in it for the reasons that I mentioned earlier, that I'm only in what I would consider long-term plays, and I don't want to play that game of chicken. But yeah, I think there's good growth in Norwegian Cruise Lines. Mm. Carl, what's your what's your stock you've got in the watch list? I have three on my watches. I used to have quite a long list of watch list stocks, but at the moment I've been fairly limited in what I've been looking at. And the three are Alibaba, which is obviously something that I wish I got into last week and took it off my watch list and had it in my portfolio. So that's gone. Um, but look, I'm going to keep an eye on it. Um, again, similar to Mike, I actually had Norwegian Cruise on my on my watch list as well. I know it's seen a bit of a dip today, but I think there is still growth there as well. And then the third is actually something based off your your feedback, Ryan, is Teladoc. Uh, thank you very much, Carl. Thank you very much, Mike. That concludes our quick fire round, a different one to what we have usually, but hopefully our listeners have enjoyed that. So I suppose before we do close it up, I'll open it up. Uh, any final words to our to our listeners on this week's podcast? Not so much for me. I've actually really enjoyed this week's podcast. I think there was some, some good debates um, and we haven't all agreed uh, across the board, which is really interesting. So looking forward to a few more of these ones. Keep on trucking keep on trucking the famous last words and with that another huge big thank you to to yourself mike and to yourself carl again for anyone in our discord channel mike is at beg multiplied by four carl is at rags to riches i'm blue horseshoe one final word for me is our discord channel is now free for access if you do want to join the discord channel you can get the link in our bio on instagram at size investment group and with that guys i'm going to close up this week's podcast and look forward to catching up with you next week thanks a minute for watching guys take care if you're interested in joining our Growing Soys Investment Group Discord channel or interested in further details, please feel free to follow us on our Instagram at Soys Investment Group, check out our YouTube channel, or again, feel free to email us at soysinvestmentgroup at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, guys, and we'll see you again on the next show.